We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. After two years, employers across the Bay Area and country whose workers have been largely stationed at home are returning to the office. This comes after many companies demonstrated that they are perfectly capable of being at least as productive without everyone sitting at their desks eating salad for lunch. So this is not going to be the same old office. Neither employees nor employers expect that the new normalish will be like the old normal. We'll talk about what's changed, how you're preparing, and whether the five-day work week even makes sense. That's all next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. So, first things first. Every time we've done a show on remote work, we want to acknowledge that many people's jobs have required them to come in all throughout the pandemic. But, slash and, remote workers are not some tiny sliver of elites. This is a substantial chunk of the Bay Area workforce here. And after a few false starts, it really does seem like now is when employers have decided to implement their long-term plans for returning most people to the office at least some days in the week. We've got a great panel, but this show is really all about you and how you're thinking about returning to the office or not. So tell us, does your employer have a plan to make slash ask you to return to the office? What are you planning to do? And how has your life changed if you shifted to remote work? Do you even remember what life was like when you commuted five days a week? You can give us a call now. We're opening up the phones early. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, KQD Forum. All right, let's meet our panel. Joining us, we have Kelly Obranowitz, Policy and Regulatory Counsel uh, with the Bay Area Council. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, great to be here today. We also have Adam Ozemek, a chief economist with the Economic Innovation Group. Welcome, Adam. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. And Nicholas A. Bloom, professor of economics at Stanford University. Welcome, Nicholas. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, Nicholas, I want to start with you. Um, You know, the big surprise of this time, right, was that working from home, at least when we look at it from productivity measures and the economy, actually worked really well, right? Yes. I mean, that was frankly amazing. I've been working on working from home for almost 20 years, and I've been very in favor of it. But I have to say, was met with massive skepticism up until March 2020. And then, as you know, we were all thrown into working from home by the pandemic. And lo and behold, it's been kind of amazing. I mean, look, I know it's not going to be the same level post-pandemic as it was now, but we're likely to see about a five-fold increase in working from home 
going forwards from what we had before the pandemic. So it's been a massive positive surprise. And when when you look at the macroeconomic numbers and you say, can we see the effect of this working from home in those numbers, do you think? Yes. I mean, look, you can see it obviously in two ways. One is just on the health front. It's clear that it's a massive driver of addressing the pandemic by enabling. I mean, imagine we couldn't have done it. Just think about a world where we could not have worked mm. from home. We'd have, everyone have had to gone to work. The infection rates would have exploded compared to what we had, which were already pretty terrible. And then if you on your question on the economic impact, amazingly, the economy is back to trend on where it was pretty much pre-pandemic. Employment is a bit down, but GDP is back to trend. And so, you know, if anything, we're more productive than we were pre-pandemic. We're producing the same with less hours. And a lot of it has to be down to working from home. It seems to have improved that. But people, you know, amazingly enough, appear to be on average more efficient working from home than they are at the office. Yeah. You know, Adam, you see this move, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you see this move to remote work, not just as sort of a, a temporary blip, but actually sort of a powerful new force in reshaping the country. Yeah, that's right. I, I think that there's going to be a lot of uh, downstream implications. It's it's what economists call a general purpose technology. And I think that we're really just seeing the beginnings of the impact that this is going to have on companies, um, how they work, how they operate, and also where they live. And I think we're already starting to see some of the effects on people's decisions about where to live. This is the first time in modern history that the question of where you live has become disconnected from where you work. And I think that's really important. And that's going to have big changes. So interesting. So when you say general purpose technology, you're, the comparison you're drawing there is to say like when electricity or electric motors came to be used in factories. And at first we used we kind of used those motors, but with the old ways of of making things. And as time went on, we learned to sort of deploy those technologies sort of more efficiently using their actual features. That's right. And, you know, a lot of companies like Nick said, it's, it's shocking how well this has gone because a lot of companies are dealing with um, you know, their old ways of working. They're also dealing with their, you know, incumbent workforce, which is probably comprised of a mix of people who do and don't want to work from home. In comparison, a startup is going to be able to build up their processes, their management style, and their workforce um, from the beginning to be built around working remotely. So you don't have to deal with the issue of, you know, half the staff wants to come back to the office, the other staff, half wants to work remote. You can, you can build around remote first. I think that's going to, uh, involve all sorts of gains of productivity. And, and we're going to see, you know, lots of innovations trickle down from there. How do you think this new normal-ish is going to, to reshape the cities as we've known them in our sort of urban geographies? Well, there's going to be a couple of impacts and it's really going to depend by place. And there's, there's, there's not a ton of broad generalizations you can make. It's actually pretty nuanced. So, I think if you want to look at the places that are going to be, quote unquote, harmed by remote work, you're going to want to look for places that have a high cost of living and have a lot of jobs that can be done remotely now. And uh, so you can't I just feel like you're talking the- about the Bay Area right now, Adam. You can just yep. say it. <laughs> <laughs> the Bay Area for sure, New York City, other superstar cities, places like that. I, I think you really need both things. You need you need the push of high cost of living to give people sort of a reason to leave and you need the uh, high work from home jobs to give them the ability to leave. And when you have both of those things, I do think you're going to see at the very least lower 
uh, falling prices relative to the rest of the country. And in some places, you'll also see um, lower population. We're talking about returning to the office with Adam Ozmek, chief economist at the Economic Innovation Group, Nicholas Bloom, professor of economics at Stanford University, and Kelly Obranowitz with the Bay Area Council. And we want to hear from you. We want your calls this hour. Did your employer have a plan to make slash ask you to return to the office? Have you started a company during this time, like Adam's talking about, that has uh, been remote first and maybe even remote only? And another thing I'm really curious about, do do you even remember what life was like when you commuted five days a week? And can you imagine returning to that? The phone number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. Kelly, wanted to get your perspective via the survey that the Bay Area Council has done about sort of plans that employers have had over time to bring people back into the office? Yeah, so we've been conducting a survey of around 200 employers from throughout the Bay Area for a full year now, trying to just get an understanding of when they might begin bringing employees back to the workplace, but also when might they actually hit that that new norm. Uh, Right now, and in March of 2022, we're finally starting to see employers bringing employees back to the workplace. So uh, in our most recent poll, around 70% of employers indicated that actually they had started bringing some employees back to the workplace. This doesn't mean that they have everyone back with the consistency that they intend to eventually, but at least that they're in the process of bringing people back to the workplace. It's a little bit further out before they think they're going to kind of be operating under that new norm, um, which is looking to be more like mid-summer, so sometime you know in July before uh, the majority of employers around 75% anticipate kind of operating under that new norm. Yeah. Let's bring in our first caller, Michelle from Concord. Welcome, Michelle. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Well, I am a full-time mom, and my husband was commuting, and when the pandemic hit, he stayed home, and we have our little girls, and they were excited because Daddy was (laughs) across the room doing work. And trying to do work. It was yes, it was actually pretty challenging um, for 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 my husband, and he wanted to go back to the office. But when my girls started going back to school, and it was just my husband and I, it actually did help in our marriage and to have time together. Because with little kids, uh, couples, it's it's a bit challenging to have some mm-hmm. time just for us. So it actually helped us in our marriage. And But now my husband goes back and, well, we're okay. At least we had that break as a yeah. couple. <laughs> What'd you do? You like made lunch together and sat there and hung out? Or, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, to just talk. Um, and we couldn't do that before. I mean, of course, I could go to his job, but... Um, yeah, it was it was just really, really nice. But it's all right. We enjoyed it while we had it. Is he back in five days a week? Yes, he is. Oh, wow. Thanks so much for that, Michelle. You know, Kelly, are a lot of places planning on bringing people back five days a week? Or are they, you know, imagining it'll be some fewer days? Yeah, no, five days a week is certainly the outlier at this point. So when we originally conducted our survey, we just tried to get a baseline and Pre-pandemic, between 70 to 75% of employers completing the survey did indicate they were bringing employees in five or more days a week. Uh, Right now, actually, about 70% of employers for the full course of the year that we've been administering the survey say that they anticipate bringing employees in 
three days a week or less uh, once they kind of hit that new norm. So really looking to, to not have a full five day a week and uh, the majority kind of, of employers are looking to be around the three day a week with between three to 45% of employers every month for that full year saying, yeah, three days a week is how often we're going to ask people to come back to the workplace. So the so-called hybrid model. Certainly, certainly a hybrid model. And one important thing to note also with that is that's really for these employers, typical employee is the way we're asking it. But employers are anticipating to have some percentage of the workforce potentially be fully remote post pandemic mm. as well. So you're going to kind of have a, a mix of hybrid, though some people might be tra- transitioning to staying home completely. So certainly will look a little different than it did pre pandemic. Yeah. Uh, One listener tweets, is this idea better for the customer? Because I save about $300 per month working from home. Gas, extra car repairs, lunches, coffees, nicer clothes, extra grooming supplies, things for the office and desk all added up. You know, Adam, is that uh, one of those uh, ways that working in the office actually ends up costing employees a little bit more than even we would necessarily think? Yeah, I mean, the commute... uh your employer doesn't pay for that. And that's a serious cost for a lot of people. Um, You know, the average commute in this country is uh, getting close to an hour when you include both ways. Uh, That's a really big cost, not just in terms of time, but in terms of finances as well, especially with gas prices, what they are now, it's really inconvenient time to be asking people to come back to the office. And, you know, that's out of people's pockets. That's right. We're talking about returning to the office office with Adam Ozmek, chief economist with the Economic Innovation Group, Kelly Obranowitz with the Bay Area Council, and Nicholas Bloom, professor of economics at Stanford University, and of course with you too. Tell us, what are you planning to do? 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about returning to the office with Kelly Branowitz, Bayer Council, Adam Ozemek with the Economic Innovation Group, and Nicholas Bloom, professor of economics at Stanford. Nicholas, I wanted to ask you about what we know about what working from home does for different demographic groups. Um, like I've heard you in other interviews talk about the effect that uh, that working from home or remote work has had for people of color, maybe women with small children. Like, who do we? Know, what do we know about who likes remote work? And what's done for, for them? Sure. So I think there's two things to note. One is, uh, on, a, on average, everyone likes working from home. Uh, you know, m- well, at least most people do. So if you survey, we've been surveying tens of thousands of Americans, you find that 25% of people don't. So, you know, that may seem odd, but 25% of people say they don't want to work from home at all. 
30% said they want to work from home all the time. Uh, they love it. And the remainder, which is about half, which I don't know, includes it would be me. I don't know many listeners say, look, they want to work from home two, three days a week, but they also want to go and see their colleagues. So there's a big spread across anyone you speak to about this. If you break it down by demographics, you find, for example, men and women, they both on average want to work from home, but women have a slightly higher level than men, but it's not a huge difference. There is a bigger difference amongst folks with young children. So if you look at people with kids under the age of 12, both men and women have higher levels, but it particularly jumps up for women. If you look by age, it's relatively flat. If you look by race, there's some variations. Again, all races want to work from home, but people that self-identify as Black, Hispanic, or Latinx report slightly higher levels than white respondees. The very big variation we see is actually in level of education. So by far the largest gradient is folks that have a university degree report much higher levels and preferences than those that don't. And you know, I, I, happy to talk about this, but there are a lot of variations. The most obvious thing is this just incredible, you know, spread. So in any firm, you're going to have some people that want to work right. five days a week and others that don't want it at all. You know, Susie tweets, I wonder how work from home might affect the diversity, equity and inclusion of organizations. Work from home definitely has helped me by not having to be in the office dealing with various gender, et cetera, difficulties. I, and I wanted to ask you uh, one more thing about this, uh, Nicholas Bloom, which is, in, in some of your research, you've shown that while people working from home are more productive than their office-bound counterparts, it also has hurt them in terms of getting promoted, right? Yes, exactly. I think working from home is a key thing for promoting diversity. And the reason is you want to allow people that want to work from home to be able to do that. And you want to allow it, particularly in a way that doesn't harm them, harm them in their career. So there's something called presenteeism bias, which is there's plenty of evidence in the data. When I talk to firms, I've talked to hundreds of firms throughout the pandemic. They say that, look, to be honest, if there's a team and there are some folks working from home and there are others coming in, the people working from home tend to lose out. So in order to support diversity in organizations, firms, organizations you know, across the country, it's important to A, allow people to work from home and B, B make sure that everyone does it. So just to explain, if you have, say, a Take Apple. They have a three-day work-from-home policy. Sorry, three-day come in the office, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, work-from-home, Wednesday, Friday. It's important that people go home on that Wednesday, Friday. Otherwise, you know, if you have young kids to look mm. after, you want to do that. But you certainly discover, you know, your colleagues that don't have any dependents are slipping in on the Wednesday and Friday. They're getting ahead of you and you're falling behind on promotion. It's like parental leave. If the guys don't take it, it ends up... Uh, yeah, early. totally. You know, yeah. it requires. I, you know, I spoke to a firm the other day, and uh, I spoke to the CHR, and she said, "You know, we used to have this work from home policy pre-pandemic. New CEO comes in, he says, I don't like it. I'm going to abolish work from home on Fridays for myself. The rest of you can stay home." But of course, what happens is the people <laughs> reporting to him come in, the people reporting to the people reporting to him come in, and it collapsed. And she said, "You know, we had to tell." The leader, you have to stay home on your work from home days. And I think that's true for all of us. It's important to show leadership so that people that genuinely want to work from home on those days can feel relaxed about it. It's just so funny that it has nothing to do with the actual productivity of the company. <laughs> Let's bring in Nanette from Gilroy. Nanette, welcome to the show. 
Hi, thanks. Um, yeah, I obviously started working from home in March of 2020, like everybody else. Um, I was um, laid off from that position. I'm a tech recruiter, took on a contract, which was obviously from home. Uh, my contract ended in January, and when I went looking for a new position, I looked for remote only. Mm. Um, if somebody offered me a position that was hybrid or in person, because there's just no way you're getting me back in a car. Mm. I mean, I, I just, my commute previously commuting into Silicon Valley was an hour to an hour and a half. And I was actually quite surprised that I liked working from home. I'm a fairly outgoing, um, you know, gregarious person. And I thought, you know, being just a single working from home kind of person that that I would, you know, miss the office interaction. And I just don't. <laughs> but I know. Did you I find was, other I outlets was, for that? Is that is that why? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I, I'm more purposeful in interacting with my friends and setting up time. Um, I guess you could call them play dates if you wanted. Um, but, you know, I'm more purposeful in reaching out to my friends and spending, you know, more time with them. Um, and of course, me and my husband um, both worked from home. Um, and so I had him as, a, you know, a companion in the house as well. Um, but, um but yeah, I just there. I in, and I have no desire to go back in an office. Yeah, None. yeah. I don't think you're uh, totally alone. Saying <laughs> according to the yeah. survey data uh, and my informal survey of people I know. Um, thanks so much for that um, perspective, Nanette. Um, Adam uh, Ozemek, I wanted to ask you um, something. You know, Ryan, listener Ryan writes. I respectfully disagree that we can use pandemic productivity data as being absolute for the long term. We, quote, survived and, quote, adjusted to make this work, but not everyone is wired to work in isolation. Burnout, mental health, and those that struggle in isolation will increase to level out these celebrated productivity numbers. And I just want to extend that question just a tiny bit, which is to say, do we think that the good numbers we've seen, as well as just, you know, the the functioning of these organizations uh, in this kind of crisis moment, could collapse, that what we're seeing is, in fact, uh, a temporary effect of kind of uh, COVID times, and that over the long term, these companies would run out of steam if everyone stays home? I think the opposite is, is more likely to occur, actually, that the productivity gains will grow. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. One is that a lot of companies were thrown into this remote work experiment basically overnight. Um, you know, April 2020, all of a sudden you have to be home, uh, all your workers or a lot of your workers, and they had to learn really fast how to do this. And the fact that that sort of fast overnight experiment was positive for productivity growth is pretty astounding considering this is a technology that works best when you have time to figure out how to work best with it. So it's something that economists call learning by doing. We really haven't had that much of it yet. The other thing is there are still companies who won't work remote long run who are working remote right now because they feel that they still kind of have to, mm-hmm. you know, neither Nick or myself or really anyone thinks that the current remote work rates um, or the remote work rates, you know, early in the pandemic are going to last forever. We think there is going to be some sort of a decline. And so those companies still being in the mix are sort of reducing the productivity effects because like this is not really how they're supposed to be. And lastly, when you talk about things like burnout or isolation, you know, I think those things are really exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, and so when 
the pandemic is over and people are increasingly able to go back to living life like normal and they can get out with their friends and they can have you know daycare to watch the kids. That's going to reduce those strains that we've been feeling over the last two years. I don't think they're going to increase over time. So for all those reasons, I say productivity effects are going to go up. Let's bring in another caller, Hari from Fremont. Welcome to the show. Uh, hi, guys. Lovely topic. Uh, so this is my situation. I have two thoughts. The number one is uh, I'm trying the hybrid model my company has introduced. I had a romanticized version of this will be lovely after two years of going back to work, meeting with colleagues. Uh, first is I'm having difficulty in having the rest of my team members join me at work. Mm. For whatever practical reasons, not enough people are coming up. And the next reality is the last week I spent uh, commuting to work four days a week and I spent about eight and a half hours on the road. So the romanticized version of meeting people, having fun, you know, having good conversations beyond my family was great. But every time I'm sitting in the traffic in 101 or 880 or, or whatever highway you're on, it just kills the enthusiasm to go to work. Yeah. That's thought number one. Thought number two, uh, I was having this conversation with my neighbor who, uh, his, his office has you know, proposed that they're going to have a 5% reduction in your base pay cut if you choose to go completely remote. Right? Even though you're in the Bay Area, you choose to go completely remote, they're going to reduce his salary. And we were having this conversation. For him, practically, with tolls, bridges, and gas, it's going to cost him roughly 400 bucks a month to commute to work. And this doesn't include any food. I'm just practically talking about on the road. And we were saying 12 months, it's going to cost you 4,800, 5K. You're earning 100K as a sample token mm-hmm. salary. So you're going to be losing about, you know, uh, $5,000. So it evens out. What do but you you're mean? like I mean, paying you're not to go much. into the office. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And if you, and they, okay, the question is, is that time worth it? Is another 5000 are you paying all that time you spend with family or with friends or doing your – is that 5K extra you earn, is it worth it? Or is that another 10K worth it? So that's another thing for people to consider as well. Yeah. So those are my thoughts. All right. Great, great, great points. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And I think, you know, Nicholas Bloom, this feels like there's so from – the, from many employees' perspective, it just feels like, wait, why are we doing this? Yes. So, you know, I actually spoke to two different companies yesterday on exactly this point. And Harry's thing, you're absolutely right. There is no point going into the office and driving if your colleagues aren't there. So the critical thing on hybrid, in fact, I, tw- I, I tweeted about this earlier this week, is coordinating days that everyone goes in. So when you talk to firms or talk to employees that haven't coordinated, and they just sometimes come in, sometimes don't, you hear the stories over and over again that I'm going into the office Hardly anyone's there. I'm like on Zoom calls. They're like, what's the point? So I would advise, say, trying a setup whereby everyone comes in on Tuesday and Thursday. Everyone works from home, say, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then when you're in, you have, you know, two vibrant days. Then the question is, what's the point of doing it? There's plenty of evidence coming back to presenteeism bias that people perform better, get promoted better when they're face to face. There's lots of evidence on mentoring, on creativity, on building culture. So I personally don't think we need to be in five days a week. But I think for most organizations, being in probably two or three is helpful. But it's critical. It's like coordinated. So everyone comes in on the same two days. So 
when you're in, you're in. Because the only reason you go into work really is to meet colleagues. You don't go in for the free bagels or whatever else it is to sit in your desk chair. So yeah, I completely hear the frustration over and over again. And is why the new norm, I think, eventually is going to be, let's just be smart about this and coordinate and say two days a week in, three days a week at home. Yeah. Kelly, I got a question uh, coming in to you. A listener tweets, I'm furious at San Francisco Mayor London Breed's attempt to force employers to bring their employees back to the office to pump money into San Francisco's downtown. Workers are not pawns to be forced into long, grueling, expensive commutes for San Francisco's benefit. I assume that you may have a different perspective uh, from that listener, Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the intent is just knowing that employers are beginning to bring employees back to the workplace, many of whom, you know, do have office locations in San Francisco. Uh, you know, Mayor Breed's trying to encourage people who are coming into the workplace to get out in San Francisco and potentially enjoy the benefits that the city has to offer, that the downtown corridor has to offer, that they may not have gotten to experience in the last two years as they've been working from home. Uh, you know, I also don't think that employers are you know, listening externally like that and saying, okay, yeah, this is this is what we're going to do and put pressure on our employees in, in that way. It seems like most employers are being very calculated, getting feedback from their employees, trying to understand what it is the employee wants to happen and what kind of balance they want to have in this, you know, new hybrid world that we're entering into to ensure that the employer retains that talent, right? We live in a really competitive market and employers in the Bay Area in particular are listening to what their employees want and trying to accommodate their needs so that uh, it, it works for everyone. Yeah. It is pretty remarkable, though, to be in some of these downtowns recently uh, and just see they're, they're pretty empty. Um, let's bring in Jane from Sunnyvale. Welcome to the show, Jane. Yeah. Hi. Good morning. Um, so, yeah, I'm one of the 25 percent who actually wants to go back to the office. Mm. I know it sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> OK, the reason why is like there are many reasons. So, first of all, you know, like I can charge my car for free at the office. I can focus better. I don't like working from home because when I'm home, I want to be home. I don't want to be working. Mm -hmm. And I have younger children, but I don't get to see them more because work is still there and I still have to work. So, you know, while they are daycare or school, I'm working anyway. So I I don't spend more time with my kids. Yeah. I do, however, spend more time with my husband and gets really into my nerves. So I'm just happy to <laughs> avoid him and go to work. <laughs> and I, and yeah. I also really meet, I meet my coworkers too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think that a hybrid setup would work for you? Like three days a week and then, you know, two days a week uh, at home or something like that? Yes, I agree. Because, um, however, you know, I like working from the office and being in the office, I also still really enjoy having flexibility. So, you know, if I need to go to a dentist appointment, I still want to have that flexibility, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't mind. Uh, and, and it was very interesting what one of the panel people said about, you know, if you have Wednesday and Friday work from home, you need to do it. And I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, I guess I need to do that. <laughs> and I got that point and I thought it was really interesting. But yeah, we'll do that. Great. Well, hey, thank you for that perspective, Jane. I also don't think you're alone in wanting to go back in. I've heard that as well. Um, we have a few comments I want to get to here. Thea writes, I am grateful that my employer was prepared to pivot full-time work from home when the pandemic hit. The fact that it can be permanent is great for introverted colleagues and those with kids. But for an extrovert like me, I am so happy they kept an office. 
David writes, have they teased out, I want to work from home from I don't want to commute. I'd like to be in the office more, not 100%, but don't want the four to five hour round trip commute from Napa to Alameda. By the way, you're, all these, all you listeners are reminding me of how long these commutes are. These are just brutal. Uh, and Kim writes, I observed a lot of reduced productivity when healthcare facilities had many employees working at home. There are too many distractions for the employee. It takes a very disciplined person to do this successfully. We live in a world of short attention spans. This is not a realistic uh, work world. Uh, Nicholas Bloom, how, do we have survey data to separate out the commute from the wanting to work from home? Well, yes and no. So we ask people why you want to work from home. And, you know, the top two reasons that, you know, the top reason is basically avoiding the commute. And in fact, avoiding time spent getting ready. So just to put numbers on it, as Adam says, the average American commutes for about 60 minutes, 30 minutes each way, although in the Bay Area, that's higher. That's more like 80 minutes, as you've heard from some of these Mm -hmm. horrendous commutes. It also turns out when you work from home, you save an extra 10 minutes on getting ready. So the average American spends 30 minutes getting ready when they go to work, but only 20 minutes when they work from home. And we surveyed them and people, you know, horrible and scary as it sounds, they spend that 10 minutes saved from showering and bathing less. They test like to wear fresh clothes, less like to shave. The downside, Nicholas, though, is you have to fix your face on Zoom so much more often, right? (laughs) Your face doesn't automatically do what you want it to do. Or so I've noticed from being on so many Zooms. We're talking about returning to the office with Nicholas Bloom, professor of economics at Stanford University, Adam Ozemek, chief economist with the Economic Innovation Group, and Kelly Obranowitz with the Bay Area Council. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are having a Bay Area conversation about returning to the office, and we'd love to hear from you. How's your life changed since you shifted to remote work, if you did? What are you planning to do as companies, uh, as we've heard from Kelly Obranowitz with the Bay Area Council, many companies are planning to bring people uh, back in just in the next few weeks here. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. Adam, got a great question for you from a listener. Gene writes, one thing you're not addressing is that many people, including myself, have relocated in the past two years. 
So when you're talking about going back to the office two to three days a week, what does this mean for people like me? I'd really like to continue working for my company, but if they do opt for the hybrid schedule, I would have to resign. Yep, that's a very, very important point. We can see this in survey data that I've run. Uh, a lot of people, if they have to go back to the office, they are going to look for another job. And so this is one of the reasons why it's not entirely in the employer's hands and why it's not entirely their decision. If they decide to bring everyone back to the office, but a lot of their workers are moved or are planning to move or they want to move, um, they may find themselves dealing with a serious turnover problem. So I 100% agree with the listener that uh, you know people want to live uh, not necessarily where they have to, but where they want to. And that's a really important benefit of remote work. And I think that that's going to be in conflict with some employers' plans. Yeah. You know, Nicholas Bloom, I guess, you know, zoom out just a tiny bit on a slightly more abstract point, which just does feel like you pair this conversation that we're having with the conversations that we've been having about child care and women in the workforce and their labor force participation declining and the conversations about the great resignation in general Does it feel like there is some deeper reconfiguration of Americans' attitudes towards work, at least among some segments of the population? Yes. I mean, so just to put numbers on it, we've lost about 5 million workers in America versus where we think we should be. About 2 million of them have come from folks retiring early because of COVID. But so there's still 3 million out there that are younger people. They're nowhere near retirement age. They're not working. And... There's a range of reasons, including childcare problems, people nervous about infections. One of the things we see in our surveys is work from home is a great way to bring people back into being able to work. So actually, we've been polling people and you see that 40 percent of people that are currently not working say they would if they could get a work from home job. And so that's an enormous number. That's one of the ways to bring people in. You know, there's a mix of folks in that. There's people looking after young kids. There's people looking after elderly relatives. There are people out in very rural areas. So for all of these groups, if we can allow them to work fully remotely, they can you know, rejoin the labor force. They doesn't also need to be full time. So it's worth remembering that a lot of remote jobs, what, you know, what I was mentioning earlier, people, the first thing they like about working from home is the lack of the commute. But number two is the flexibility. So long in the discussion going back, you know, 20 years, flexi place, which is working from home, has gone with flexi time. So if you're fully remote, you can also do stuff like, you know, I remember interviewing someone. She said, look, I I, I work from 6 a.m. till 7. I then take my kids to school till Mm 8. I work for three hours. I go have lunch with my friends. You know, so that kind of thing is hugely appealing for a lot of folks that currently are not working. So, yes, I think it opens up employment and also to older employees. Another group, by the way, we kind of missed out is people that are close to retirement, maybe don't want to commute in five days a week, but will be happy to work from home for three. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in another caller, Raza from San Carlos. Welcome. Hey, thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, I was I worked from home for 20 years, and I have to tell people that the grass is greener on the other side. <laughs> in the office, the grass is greener in the office. <laughs> uh, right. So I worked. Uh, I my office, my head office was in uh, Washington D.C. I worked from my head office for three years, and then my wife got a job in the Bay Area. So I moved here and made them figure out the logistics for me to work from home. 
so then I worked from home for 20 years. It was not. It was great from commute and all that perspective, but it got so miserable at the end that I quit. Mm. My productivity was going down. As a as a scientist, I did read the latest um, literature, but in the office discussing it with other people, walking, having a coffee together was so I my my scientific knowledge was so much more fresh there. Here, you know, I would read the paper and my work and life balance was totally mixed up. Hmm. I mean, I was never I didn't have working hours, I didn't have home hours. Right. And it was totally miserable to the extent that I had to, I had to quit. Yeah. And I think a, a hybrid model might be a great one, especially given the commute situation here. It is not a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, Raza, I assume that now you are uh, working in an office. I hear you in a car. Yeah, I am uh, kind of, I am semi, semi-retired. So what I do because of the, the, my misery, I quit and took an early retirement, and I do some gigs uh, like writing, medical writing, when I get a project. And otherwise, frankly, I commute to play badminton uh, five days five days a week. <laughs> so I am commuting now about in the Bay Area on Highway 101 I'll, uh, oh, man. from San Carlos to South City Wow! every day. Man, so a dedicated badminton player, Raza. Thanks so much for that uh, perspective. That I was not expecting you to say that. <laughs> thanks so much. Um, I want to let uh, Nicholas Bloom, professor of economics at Stanford, go. He's got a must have a class or a, or a meeting, but he's got to take off. Thanks so much for joining us, Nicholas. We really appreciate that. I do indeed have a class. So thanks very much. It's fantastic listening. Yeah. Um, Adam Ozemek, chief economist with the Economic Innovation Group, wanted to ask you about the, the longitudinal effects of longtime work from home. I actually have worked from home for a very long time uh, for similar reasons to Raza, actually. And I, I, I felt like I got stronger the longer I was away because I had my sort of um, ways of working down. What else do we know about the, those kind of longitudinal effects of longtime work from home? That's a great question. Uh, we don't have a ton of evidence on that, uh, following individuals over time and seeing what happens to their productivity. But I do think uh, a very important part of it is sort of adapting your work practices and figuring out what works best for you. I think for a lot of people, they're going to find, you know, if they do feel that sense of isolation, for example, um, you know, an option is co-working spaces or working with friends or working at the coffee shop. Um, you know, you've got to be more protective about your your hours of work so you don't find yourself drifting into the, the evenings and the early mornings unless, you know, that's how you prefer to work. Um, but I, I, we, we don't we don't know exactly, but I think that those are going to be some of the most important things for workers to focus on over time with this way of working. Yeah. A lot of comments uh, coming in. Brad writes. My employer has brought everyone back to campus with an option to remain remote three days a week. It's been a convoluted process of submitting requests, having them denied, and ending up back on campus anyway. 
As a father of three young kids who cannot be vaccinated, I'm in the process of applying to fully remote jobs. For two years, I've been home with them all week, and that's not something that I'm interested in sacrificing. Uh, let's bring in Roger from San Francisco. Welcome, Roger. Hi. Yes, I just want to echo what your recent uh, caller said about I have a child that's under five that is not able to be vaccinated, so I have concern about being in the office and then exposing myself to COVID and then bringing it home to my family. So uh, I don't miss the commute, obviously, either, but uh, my family's well-being is my main concern. Yeah, thanks so much for that. I, for that perspective. You know, Kelly, I wanted to ask you if Bay Area employers, like in your survey, what happens if there is another surge? What happens if there's like yet another false start? Have you talked to them about that? So we haven't talked to them about that looking forward, but obviously we have seen both the Delta and the Omicron surge since we've been administering the survey. And in both of those cases, uh, opening plans, we did see regress. So for employers who had been bringing people into the workplace, uh, we saw them bringing less people in. And for those who, you know, anticipated beginning the return in the next month or two, that that was delayed a little bit. So we would see how that plays out going forward. We'll be administering this survey until at least June of 2022. So we're going to be able to understand both the, you know, anticipated um, plans of the employer, but also what are they actually observing in the moment? Thanks so much. You know, this is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Let's bring in another uh, caller, Valeria from Palo Alto. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Sorry, uh, as we are speaking, I am commuting to work and the Google directions are getting in the way. Uh, <laughs> I work for an organization in uh, Palo Alto and we have just started coming back to work only one day a week. We're keeping the requirement really low, but... I work in HR for my company, and I'm getting a lot of feedback that even that one day a week uh, is difficult for some people. And we're really having to make the case what is happening at work that employees really need to come in for. Like, what reason do you need to give me for me to come in? That's been the case that we're having to make. So the default is completely flipped on its head Mm -hmm. to where working at at an office is the default. Now working at home is the default. And I have to say, like, we're going to feed you. We're going to, you know, make collaboration easy. We're going to improve your, you know, the ergonomics of your workstation. Like we really have to pump out the reasons or employees, I don't blame them, just don't see why they need to be coming in. What about things that, how are you explaining to managers what the new situation is, right? I mean, you work in HR, you're dealing with um, a, a whole bunch of different teams how are you saying you need to make the case, like if you're saying that's what you need to do, the, the actual work case, not just like the workstation, but like what you're actually doing mm-hmm. at that station? Exactly. Most of the managers, I don't want to like put sides, they are quote unquote on our side. They they also, they're also. <laughs> they're like, I don't want to come in, in either. <laughs> they're like, I don't want to come in either. That means, you know, I got I to gotta take care of my employees. But they, they also want to make, you know, up, up to our president, they... Uh, want to make the case. They think that collaboration, that being face-to-face, like your other caller said, you know, a lot of people really thrive on being face-to-face, and they, that thrives their production or increases their production, whereas the other part of the organization, that's not really how their work goes. So I think we have to make the case for, uh, we have to do it individually so that we're more, um, 
you know, individualistic to our employees instead of just treating them like, a, you know, uh, one big hive that we're convinced they all work the best this way. Yeah. We have to, you know, let them make their own choices and be uh, a support for them at the office. That, I think that's the case, best case we can make. Thank you so much, Larry. It actually reminds me of the letter that Twitter's uh, CEO wrote to their employees saying, wherever you work best, that's where you get to stay working, which I thought was a just a really simple way of putting uh, of dealing with a very complex situation. Um, some more listener comments coming in. Uh, some on San Francisco, some on, on other things. A listener writes, one way to solve the commute problem is for workers to return to San Francisco. A healthy, functioning society needs employees to interact with coworkers, to get out of their PJs and live their lives, and for small business owners who've been impacted by workers leaving San Francisco for the suburbs and beyond to restart their businesses Restaurants, cleaners, and various small shops. Hybrid is okay, but there are many businesses that served office workers. I'm not sure that's going to solve the commute problem, though. A couple other comments. Gene writes, I think working from home has been bad for my husband. He works 14 hours per day. This also coincides with a promotion with more people to manage. But even worse than the longer hours, he's increased his smoking and drinking. He's even eating more. His office is starting to go back to the office soon. So maybe his health will improve. And last one, I want to toss this one to you, uh, Adam Ozmek. Theodore writes, Curious about how the newer generation might be missing out on the learned work ethic, business culture, and professionalism that you learn from in-person business interaction. Are we sure that the newer generation who have never worked in the office know how to work from home? And Adam, the question I want to ask you out of that is that there's actually two different kinds of skill sets that are now necessary. One is the way to interact in person, the kind of professionalism that this person is suggesting, but also how you, you know, sort of in, uh, get involved in a company's culture, how you communicate with your employees online, which I think like in, our, in a Slack, knowing how to Slack in a remote company is hugely important. And I wonder if, if many employees don't understand the importance of that channel of communication. Yeah, it's a great question. There's a, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. So... For sure, there is a uh, there are skills to communicating remotely and also working remotely together. And I think that that's something that that companies and individuals are learning. You know, it's uh, like the challenge of onboarding is another example. But I think that in a lot of ways, it provides companies with an opportunity to rethink how they have done this stuff and how they share culture and information. And a lot of times, the way that uh, information and culture gets spread is sort of informally word of mouth. You hope you bump into the right people at the office to ask the right questions. In a lot of ways, that process uh, leaves a lot of holes for people to fall through. Um, you got to make, you got to hope that the, the wrong people don't quit at the wrong time and uh, you lose important information. Uh, what a lot of companies I think are discovering is that there are gains to be had from moving to more written informal information sharing, building knowledge bases that can be shared with everyone in the staff and not relying on sort of like the chance that you ask the right person in the office. Like it's sort of a pretty ad hoc kind of casual system. And I think becoming more formalized can help both with younger workers and with onboarding and also, you know, with the preservation of knowledge in, in a company and, and, and also, you know, strengthening culture. So that's just one of the, uh, the adaptations that I think we're going to see more of. I find that so fascinating part of your research, just that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect that one of the knock-on effects is that a bunch of implicit knowledge gets made explicit, which was probably a good thing to do anyway, but it is, uh, seems like a necessary component of 
of moving to a remote work environment. So interesting. Um, Kelly Obranowitz uh, with the Bay Area Council, I want to ask you one last question, which is just your survey has been done with uh, the Bay, with the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, the, you know, some of our transit folks here. And I'm wondering what you're seeing in terms of the numbers of people who are getting back on transit versus people who are commuting in their cars. Yeah, that's right. So we are working with MTC on this survey. We present the results to the transit agencies every month, which is to give them a, a better understanding of, you know, when our employers going back, what is demand going to look like so that they can adjust their service accordingly. Um, unfortunately, we're still not seeing uh, huge upticks in, in ridership on transit. So it's significantly below pre-pandemic levels still, though I think you know we've established during during this session this morning that this is kind of the beginning of bringing people back to work. So we are hopeful that as people, you know, start kind of those, some of those habits, patterns again, they will resume riding public transit versus getting in their car at this point. I think people are kind of operating under the assumption, oh, maybe there's not traffic out there because everyone's not, and I can just jump in my car and I'll get there quickly, which is just unfortunately not the case uh, across, you know, the, the bridges in the Bay Area around, um, Peak commute times we're seeing around 80% of pre-pandemic traffic levels, mm. um, much lower, you know, 20, 25% on, on ridership of public transit. So there's definitely, uh, you know, still the preference for, for cars right now, but I think as more people continue to go back in, hopefully they'll resume some of those uh, public transportation habits. Yeah. Thank you so much. We have been talking about returning to the office with Kelly Obranowitz for the Bay Area Council. Thanks so much, Kelly, for joining us. Thanks for having me as well as Adam Ozimek, Chief Economist with the Economic Innovation Group. Thanks so much for joining us, Adam. Yep, glad to be here. Thanks. Last comment, Bo writes, I wonder to what degree the desire to work from home is to resolve other societal deficiencies such as childcare and transportation. Couldn't agree more. I think that you hit it, Bo. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with host Marisa Lagos. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe 
wherever you get your podcasts.